That was my mother's favorite hymn when we were at church. At least that's what she said to me every Sunday was, Be still and know. That's an old joke, sorry. Happy Mother's Day. We're glad you're here and we do celebrate our moms and all that they did for us, all that they do for us, and all that you mean to us. Thank you. Uh, Most importantly, thank you all you praying moms. Moms will pray for you when nobody else will because they know the things that we need prayer for. Uh, this morning we're going to look at a prayer list. It's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. What's on your prayer list? You probably have the names of friends and family members, folks that you care deeply about, likely You have the names of some people who have some serious needs in their life. Maybe they have some sickness or some trouble at work or challenges in their life. All those are are wonderful. Many of you have missionaries on your prayer list that you lift to the Lord faithfully, asking God to help them on the field. That's wonderful. We, We hear over and over again from our missionaries how much they not only appreciate those prayers, but how much God does through those prayers. Hopefully, you have National Heights Baptist Church on your prayer list. We certainly need your prayers as we seek to uh, serve the Lord and and reach our community and our world uh, for Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the end of the chapter gives us a glimpse into Paul's prayer list. What do you think Paul prayed about? What kind of things did he bring before the Lord's throne? Well, we get a little bit of a glimpse here in this chapter in the 11th and 12th verse where Paul talks about What he prays for on a daily basis. Here's what he writes. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, moms, who pray for us. And as we seek to follow your example and pray for those who are meaningful in our lives, we need never to forget To pray for God's power and glory in the lives of those you love. Now, let's see what that means, to pray for God's power and for God's glory. First, pray that God's power will work through those you love. Here in Thessalonians, Paul has established uh, a church. It's on his second missionary journey that he visited the city of Thessalonica. And they've had a wonderful uh, explosion of people coming to faith in Christ, of the church growing, and and just some wonderful things are are happening. But if you read that story in the book of Acts about Paul going to Thessalonica, it didn't end well, at least from an earthly perspective. He's, He's run out of the city, forced to leave by a mob of people. But Paul continues to be concerned about this church, and he continues to pray for them. He continues to remember them, and he writes them, uh, the two letters that we have, probably others as well. 
He encourages them to continue, even in the face of the opposition that is there in the city, to continue to do the work of the Lord, to continue to share the gospel, to continue to minister in the name of Christ. In the interim time between when Paul was run out of the city and the time he's writing this letter, some very difficult things have happened. Some of the people in Thessalonica, the believers in Thessalonica, had begun to face severe persecution. Some of them have even been executed because of their faith. Now think about that. Think about if just coming here this morning, you might be risking your life. You might leave this place and out on the parking lot there would be a mob of angry people ready to take your life just because you came here to sing hymns of praise to the Lord. Think about how that would affect our church life. Well, that was what was happening in Thessalonica. And and they began to have some questions. They were wondering, where is God in all of this? We're we're serving Him. We've given our, our, our hearts to Him. And yet we face this horrific persecution why doesn't God do something about this? And they also had a question about what, what happens to those who have died. We thought Jesus was coming back. And, and now these have died. Are they going to miss that extraordinary thing? And so Paul writes what we know of as First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians to help them understand, correct some of the misunderstandings they had about the second coming of Christ and to help them and encourage them in the midst of that difficult persecution. So put yourself back. In that situation, where where you are gathered together with with a group of like-minded people seeking to worship and serve the Lord, you're risking your life, your your family's well-being by doing that. And, And in the back of your mind, you're questioning, where is God in all of this? That's the situation that Paul is writing to. He begins what we call 2 Thessalonians with a prayer. But amazingly, even in the midst of that difficult situation, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. He gives thanks for the evidence God has provided amongst his people there in Thessalonica. That he's at work, that that he is a powerful God, that even in the midst of this horrible persecution, he is distributing the gospel throughout that community and people are responding. And that's where Paul then writes what's in the very first part of the verse we read this morning, verse 11. He says, with this in mind, the, the this that he's talking about is that, that even in the midst of all this persecution, God is working. God's power is being displayed. Great things are happening. People are coming to faith in Christ with, with this in mind, with the understanding that, that God is still in control. Paul then describes his constant prayer. For his friends there in Thessalonica. Now here's something amazing here. Now think about it. If you knew some people that were facing that situation. In fact there are people that face that situation in our world today. That, that face persecution. That they, they're gathering together on this Sunday. At risk of their health and well-being. There are people right now today that are facing that. Now imagine that you knew someone. That, that you had, had friends that were in that type of situation. It would seem kind of almost, it goes without saying that, that we, would, we would pray that that persecution would end. That, that they would be delivered from that horrible situation. That, that, that God 
would strike down their enemies, that God would, would take them out of the picture completely. Or, or maybe from a nicer way, would bring them faith in Christ. That would be a good way to pray. But that's probably not the way in our humanness we would pray. We would just pray for God to you know, zap them, get rid of them. But that's not what Paul prays for his Thessalonian friends. He doesn't pray for the persecution to be taken away from them. Why would that so obvious of a request be missing from his prayer list? Well, Paul knew how God had so often in his own life used situations of persecution to further the gospel. God had seen that happen, or Paul had seen that happen in his own life. How, how God, for example, had, had used his imprisonment when he was thrown in prison for preaching. He was able to preach to people that, that he would never had an opportunity to do. In fact, he writes about that in some of his letters, how he's, he's able to preach to the, the guards of the court. And, and, and by extension, he's able to get the gospel even into the courts of the emperor through the soldiers that he's preaching to. And, and he never would have been able to do that, Paul realizes, was it not for the persecution that he faces. So, lovingly, with great concern, and yet with great hope, Paul doesn't pray for the Thessalonians' persecution to be lifted. What he does pray for is something amazing. Listen to this. Is it there in verse 11? With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Now let's break that down a little bit. The first thing on Paul's prayer list, he, he prays that God would fulfill his ministry through their acts of faith. And that request has three parts. Here's the three parts that he prays for. He first prays that they will be counted worthy of their calling. Then second, he prays that God would fulfill every good purpose in their life. And then finally, he prays that they would accomplish every act prompted by their faith. Now let's look at those one at a time. The fact that Paul is, is praying for this, praying that God's power would be revealed in their life, it indicates a very important truth. Paul recognized, just as he recognized his own life, that the Thessalonian believers could not do this on their own. They could not be worthy. They could not fulfill their purpose. They could not accomplish the acts prompted by their faith outside of God's power. Paul wasn't praying for something that they could have done on their own. You know, sometimes we do that. We, sometimes we pray for something in somebody's life that really, if they just do it, they could probably get it done themselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people do need a little urging from the Holy Spirit to get themselves in gear and do the things they're supposed to do. But Paul goes a step beyond that. Paul is praying for something that he knows the Thessalonians cannot accomplish on their own. For one thing, he, he prays for them to be counted worthy of their calling in Christ. None of us could possibly, on our own, be counted worthy of our calling in Christ. There's no way. None of us could measure up to that. 
but in Christ. In the power that lives in us as believers because the Spirit of Christ lives in us. In His strength, we can live a life worthy of the name Christian. Now think about that. We can't do that on our own. There's no way we could accomplish that on our own strength. But in Christ, we can live a life worthy. So many Christians beat themselves down because they make a mistake or they allow some sin in their life or whatever happens. And they, they begin to believe, well, well, I can just never do this. I, I just can't be the person Jesus wants me to be. And they stop trying. The problem is they've realized the truth that none of us can be the person Jesus wants us to be on our own. But we're not on our own. We have Jesus in us. We serve the God of all creation. And in His power, we can live lives worthy of our calling. Think about what would happen if we did that. If each of us lived a life in the power of Christ, worthy of our calling. Wow, that's what Paul prays for. He asks that that would happen to his friends there in Thessalonica. And it gets better. Paul then prays that they would fulfill every good purpose in their life. We all want our life to count for something. We all want our existence to mean something. We have a purpose in Christ that is extraordinary. We have a purpose in the kingdom of God that is amazing. And what's even more amazing is we can accomplish that purpose in Christ. The world can be a better place because you're here. You can do something that means something. And then Paul gets practical. He prays that they would accomplish every act prompted by their faith. Now stop and think about that a minute. What if every time God's Holy Spirit prompted us to do something for the kingdom of God, we actually did it? What if just every person in this room right here this morning, what if this week, Every time the Holy Spirit put a thought in our mind of something we should do, of a word we should speak to someone or, or an act that we should take of ministry towards someone, that instead of kind of debating back and forth of whether or not we're going to do that, well, I'll pray about it a while, what if we just did it? Can you imagine what God could accomplish in one week with just the people gathered right here in this room today? If we accomplished Every act that God led us to accomplish. That's exactly what Paul prays for the Thessalonians. 
that every time the Holy Spirit prompts them, they'll do it. Wow. When NASA was sending rockets to the moon, my mom bought me a model. She knew I liked to make plastic models, and so she brought me a model of the Saturn V rocket. They don't use those anymore, but that's how they used to get the guys to the moon and back. And this model was very detailed. It was complete with detachable stages. If you'll remember when they would go up one stage, would go off, and then they'd go a little farther, another stage would come off, and then they'd go a little farther. All that. Well, this, this had where you could take it all apart, right down to the command module and the lunar landing module. Those of you who are of age remember all of how that worked. Well, when the flights were going on, I would follow the news each day and position my rocket accordingly. Cape Canaveral was on my dresser. And, and the moon was on my bookcase on the other side of my room. And so as the accounts would be given on the news of where they were and what stage had fallen off and all that kind of stuff, I would move my, my rocket around the room and take everything off as, as it would happen. And then I would bring them back from the moon as, as they were coming back, and including the splashdown in the Pacific Ocean, which was the blue carpet in my room. That was fun. But what if I had an actual rocket. Instead of just flying around my room, I could have visited the stars. Now, I know Elon Musk and SpaceX are trying to make it where we can all go there for just a couple million each. Uh, We can take our own trip. But I could have beat him into space by decades. But my plastic model wasn't capable of that. In fact, it did well just to hold together to make it around my room and back. The Thessalonians were were concerned about a lot of things. Uh, Paul assures them that, yes, Christ is going to return. You've misunderstood some things about that, but he is coming back. You can know that. You can live your life in that constant hope. And he tells them some other things, too. But in the interim, between the time where we are now and the time when Jesus comes, we have the power of Christ in our life now. When was the last time that you prayed for the power of of Christ to work through the lives of those you love. Unfortunately, too often we settle for the plastic model. When God wants to take us to the stars and back, what would happen if we and our friends and family lived worthy of the calling of Christ. Now, we can't do that on our own. That's why we pray for God to do what only God can do. And He can do that. 
we can live a life worthy of the calling of Christ. What would happen if each one of us fulfilled our purpose in Christ? What would happen if each one of us did the works that God's Holy Spirit prompts us to do? Let's find out. It starts where Paul did. It starts with prayer. Pleading before God that these things would happen in our life and in the lives of those that we love. But it doesn't stop there. As amazing as all that would be, as amazing it would be if if all of us lived lives worthy of our calling, if all of us fulfilled our purpose in the Lord, if all of us did the acts that, that God's Holy Spirit prompts us to do, that would be just absolutely incredible. If we did those three things, we would not have room in this building for all the people that would be coming to Christ. It would be amazing. But it doesn't stop there. That's what's so fascinating about this passage. As incredible as that would be, listen to what comes next. Paul then prays that the name of Christ will be glorified. Here's what he says. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember, Paul's already prayed that the Thessalonian believers would would accomplish every good work, would would, uh, accomplish the purpose that God has for their life. Uh, And now he gets very specific. What does all that mean? He names the most important Purpose of all. It is a purpose all of us in this room that call upon the name of Jesus. We all share this purpose. Here it is. That the name of Jesus would be glorified. Now we use that word a lot in church uh, settings. uh, Truth is we don't use it much outside of church. And, And the reason is because the word doesn't really resonate It's a pretty word. It's a word that sings really well. But we don't really get what that word glorify means. Because, again, it's not a word that we use very much. Well, here's what that word means. To glorify the name, it literally means to lift up. Or sometimes we use another church kind of word, to exalt. Another word that we don't use Outside the church wall. So, so we define it that way and still don't know what it means. Well, glorify means to exalt. Well, what does exalt mean? Well, it means to glorify. Okay, I got it. Yeah. We, got, we, we, we still don't quite grasp how extraordinary this is. So just think about it for a minute. What if everything we did lifted up the name of Jesus? Or to put it another way, what if everything we did in some way helped the people around us to see Jesus? How long do you think it takes to form a new habit? Well, researchers at the University of College or University College in London 
Uh, they think they figured it out. They got a group of 96 people, and they asked them over a 12-week period to do something until it became automatic, to, to do something over and over and over again until they could just do it without thinking. And then they gathered all the data about that and, and discovered that the average person forms a new habit, and again, they're defining that about just doing something without having to think about it. They do that in an average of 66 days, a couple of months plus. Now, actually, uh, in the data, the numbers varied a little bit. Uh, some people uh, did that in as little as 18 days, and some people it took them 254 days. I would have been in that category probably. So for most people, uh, forming a new behavior in your life takes anywhere from two to eight months. How long would it take for us to glorify Christ in everything that we do without thinking about it, without having to stop and say, okay, how do I do this? How long would it take? 66 days, 254 days? Well, again, let's find out. First, Let's make this a part of our prayer list. And we can pray for ourselves. That's okay. That's allowed. And pray, God, I want everything in my life to point toward you, to glorify you. And I don't want to have to take a vote every time I want to do that. You know, I don't want to have to pull together a committee and decide whether or not it's a good idea for me to glorify. I just want to do it. I, I just want in everything I do to just glorify you. And then start praying the same prayer for those we love. And not that we can't pray for the other things, too. I am so glad my mom prayed for me when I was sick and prayed for me when I had other problems in my life. And I know she was constantly lifting those things to the Lord in prayer. And I, I, I thank the Lord for that. But, but I am, am so glad that my mom prayed for God's purpose to be worked out in my life. So let's pray for it. Let's pray for our kids for that to happen. Let's pray for our friends, for our coworkers, for our, our fellow believers. Pray for the person that's in your pew this morning. Pray that they would be counted worthy of our calling in Christ. Pray that God would fulfill every good purpose in our life. Pray that we would accomplish every act prompted by the Spirit. And pray that everything that we do will glorify the name of Jesus. What would happen if God answered that prayer? Heavenly Father, we're going to pray something impossible. Right here, right now, God, we're going to ask you to do something that you alone can do. There is nobody in this room, there's nobody outside this room that can accomplish these things. And so we're coming to you because you alone are able to do this. God, 
we want to be counted worthy of our calling in you. We, we give praise that you saved us. You, you, you gave your son's life on the cross for us. And there's no way on our own we could ever be worthy of that. But God, in your power, we want to be worthy to carry the name of Christ. And God, we pray that you would fulfill every good purpose in our life. God, we want our life to mean something. We want it to mean something for your kingdom. We want people to come to faith. We want uh, folks to, to be ministered in, in their life, in their place of need. We want to do something that has eternal value. And, and God, again, we'll, we'll fail if we try to do that on our own. So God, we're asking you to do that, that you will fulfill every purpose that you have for each person in this room this morning. God, this week, as your Holy Spirit prompts us to do something, as you lead somebody into our life that you want us to share our faith with, or as, as you help us to see a need that is in our community around us that you want us to be involved in, God, we just want to do that. We spend so much time talking about it. God, we don't want to just talk about it. We want to do it. And so, God, every time you nudge us this week, we want to do it. And God, finally, in every act that we undertake this week, in every word that we speak, in every job that we do, in everything that we seek to accomplish this week. We may fail at a lot of things, but the one thing that we want to accomplish is to glorify you. That in everything we do this week, Heavenly Father, somebody would see you in us. Now, God, we can't do any of that. If we go out of this place seeking to do that in our own understanding and power, we will fail miserably. But God, you can. And so we humble ourselves before you, pleading that you would do this in us. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.